Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and I'm hoping that this turns into like an annual kind of tradition, uh, but I have the one and only QB class, Derek Klassen, on the show today. Uh, last year, we talked Drew Locke. Uh, we were probably a little bit more optimistic about Drew Locke back then um but if you have not like followed class on twitter he is at qb class if you want to catch his stuff he writes over at football outsiders he recently wrote the broncos chapter for football outsiders almanac um he has also worked for nbc uh sports for rotor world then they turned into nba c edge i know that i followed your stuff when you were write, writing for the vikings covering the draft for the quarterbacks um I've also read that. Yeah. Basically I read your stuff when I see it. So, uh, thank you for joining me. I'm really stoked to talk with you. Yeah, man. I'm glad to be back again. I think, um, you know, we'll get into it, but like you were saying, I think last time we were a little bit more optimistic on lock and today's probably not going to be quite as exciting on that front. Um, I also, since we're talking about not optimistic, you know, kind of like to get the doom and gloom out of the way a little bit, uh, I am still stuck in silver and league. Uh, I had to know, uh, I fumbled around, uh, and again, any of you listening that do care, some some people might. Uh, I fumbled around trying to play ADC for a minute, uh, mostly duoing with my girlfriend. Uh, she got to a point where she was a better support than I was in ADC. ADC's bombed out, and basically for a minute there, Kate was garbage, and I couldn't find another ADC I really liked. Uh, I played a little bit of all of them. I got back to uh, support. I climbed back up into like high silver, and then now we're at the season. So now I'm basically screwed for time. I'm t- support is the truth, man. AD is too, like, you need everybody else to not be an idiot, whereas at least at support, you can make sure that everyone else is not an idiot. Um, I will say, though, if you want to if you want to stick to AD, um, you got to go with my man, Jin. I have the, the Dark Star poster behind me, so my, my problem, is the truth. I really like Jin. My problem, I and, and I played with him. He was basically my second after Kate. The problem I always mm-hmm. get into is I get into ranked trying to play him, and I feel like I'm not good enough at the four count mechanic. And then I feel yeah. like I start to fall behind farming. I start to use mana and then I get into trouble. And then basically I turn into a ward who's trying to play support because low elo <laughs> supports don't reliably do like the macro calling. And again, like I know those of you listening that don't care about league, I apologize, but I, I've been talking to Derek about league basically since I got on Twitter and like found you. Uh, 
but yeah, so I, I understand. I love Jin. I think he's the coolest ADC. I just, I'm not good with him. That's, you know, sometimes that's the way she goes. I mean, I love Pike, but I'm not very good at him. So <laughs> uh, I will say as a, again, last thing, but like as a support, he is probably my favorite ADC to end up with uh, because mm-hmm. I tend to play really aggro supports. I tend to play, I like Zyra a lot right now, or I have been, and Zyra and Jin are really nasty. Zyra Jin is disgusting, man. If you hit one root, both of you ultimate, and it's just insta kill on anybody. So insane. So anyone listening, if you play League, that's my that's probably my recommendation is if you want to ra- rise, play uh play one of those two. Um but if you are listening for football, we'll we'll get to that. Uh first of all, I was very pleased to see that the Broncos had the second best odds by football outsiders projections to make the playoffs out of the AFC West. So again, for, for those of you listening that think we're just going to shit on Julak, it's not going to be all shitting on Julak. I was happy how, how high you guys were on the Broncos. I thought it was realistic, but it was also pretty optimistic. I mean, I think for the most part, it's just, and this is the take that everyone has, but like outside of quarterback, that roster is pretty insane. Um, I think they have probably one of the better um, pass catching groups in the entire league. I think they upgraded at running back probably. Um, offensive line is still a, a little bit of a question mark to me. Um, but I mean, defensively, they're still mostly pretty good. They, I would have liked to see them add something up front, but I don't think they were terrible up front. And I think if they get a little bit more, um, you know, injury luck up front, I think that that's going to be less of an issue. So, I mean, I think overall the roster is just insane and they're built really well on the back end, which seems to be pretty popular in today's NFL that, that defenses really want to have, you know, eight all pro cornerbacks if they can get them. Um, and, and the Broncos, I think, have done as much work in that in that aspect of the, as they could. So, and and again, because I didn't do this in the intro, and I apologize. So this on that note, if you guys haven't already gotten the Football Outsiders Almanac, uh, you can get it two ways. You can either get it by subscribing to Football Outsiders Premium. I have for years. I recommend it. If you ever wonder where I get some of the numbers, I will cite. That's where I usually get it. Uh, or if you want to get the hard copy, you can get it off Amazon. So I recommend it. Um, again, and not to you know bore you with this long story, but like football outsiders, like my interest in it precedes you. Like I, when I was a kid, I was in eighth grade. I used to stumble into a bookstore and buy every football book I could. Um, at one point, I found this giant ass book that looked like a phone book, and it was the Pro Football <laughs> Prospectus. This is before the Almanac even, and I grabbed it. And this is two thousand four. And it completely changed how I looked at football because running like the quote unquote running backs don't matter. That was like back when this was like really like people were outraged by that. Like they were like, how can they not matter? And Sean Alexander got paid like I want to say a year after that. So like people took forever. People are still not around on that idea. But right. But <laughs> but so for me, like I get it every single year, guys, if you're listening and you like my stuff, I again, I can't recommend it enough. So. Um, and, it, and they're not going to just shit on Drew Locke. So that's the other part of it. So those of you who really like Drew Locke, like, cause here's the other part about it. Um, and I wanted to touch on this kind of before we get into it. Uh, so the, I, I just mentioned the, the playoff odds, but when I looked at the projections and I don't want to give them away too much, but, uh, the Broncos had a winning record more than half the time. So there's a lot of people in Broncos country right now that are really down on the current quarterback situation. But the fact is, like, the way you guys run projections, I, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, but basically you run the DVOA numbers, you run projection 
I want to say it's 10,000 times. And then that's what the numbers come back as is the mm -hmm. range. It's a range of outcomes. So you get a percentage on how often in those projections each team did, like how they did. And the Broncos ended up with the 14th best average wins. They made the playoffs over uh, just under 50% of the time. They had a winning record over 50% of the time. And they actually had Super Bowl odds. Because um, a lot of people, I said this yesterday, that even without Aaron Rodgers, the Broncos do have small but real Super Bowl odds. And people were like, oh, you're on crack. And I'm like, I'm not on crack. I, I looked at the numbers. Um, I want to say it's hovering around 6%. It's like 5.8. And again, that, again, that's not big. But again, like look at the quarterback situation. That's... That's better than the ch uh, the Chargers. I know that. And that's, I'll take it. Um, so kind of on that, one question I had for you, just in case you knew, and again, I, I know that you might not. Do you know how that was split up with the quarterback situation? Because right now, the the people covering the Broncos want to say that it is a open competition that could go either way between Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke. Um, and I'm assuming none of the projections counted for Aaron Rodgers. So like, I, I would assume it's one of those two. Yeah, we didn't do any accounting for like Aaron Rodgers, which actually I wrote the Denver uh, chapter last, like to try to hold out for as long amount of time as I could in case they traded for him. Um, but no, no, the uh, the projections have nothing to do with Rodgers. I could be wrong. I would have to ask Aaron again, but I'm pretty sure we like split it between assuming that, you know, Locke would play nine games and Bridgewater would play eight. It was something along that lines where we split it like about as 50, 50 as you could. Cause like you're saying, it's kind of a coin flip to me. And I, I have to imagine it at some point, both, both of them are going to five games. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that that's, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Cause I, I, I'm going to, you're again, like beyond football outsiders, you study quarterbacks. So like, I, I've wanted to pick your brain on that anyway. Uh, but Kind of with that in mind, the uh, the other the downside of the projection is twelve percent of the time the Broncos did end up with last year's results. That's not bad. Like zero to five wins to me, this Broncos roster looks too good to bottom out like that unless like injuries happen again and the quarterback situation is a dumpster fire. Right. I think both. Uh, well, so I think Locke would. If Locke was about what he was last year, that's probably where they would end up. I think Bridgewater would have to be worse than what he was. In Carolina, because I think Bridgewater was actually like a relatively competent NFL starter. So he would have to be worse. And then, like you said, they would have to be injured. I think especially in the secondary, they would have to just like three of their corners would have to go down. And that would finally be what kind of tips them over. But like you're saying, I think it's probably not very likely that they end up in that, you know, zero to five range um, unless just literally everything goes wrong. Uh, so kind of... Kind of off that then, because I'm I'm going to assume that the Broncos have better injury luck than last year, just because they mm -hmm. were. I want to say they were one of the five or six most injured teams in football. Yeah. Uh beyond the projection, kind of like realistically. So first of all, how what does a best realistic case look like to you um, for the Broncos? Um, but also, like, how does the quarterback situation work out that doesn't include Rodgers? Because there are people in Broncos country right now that think I'm just obsessed with Aaron Rodgers and the only, like, that's all I want to talk about. But like, realistically, it may not happen. I think it will, but it may not happen. Um, if it doesn't happen, how do you think things play out? Uh, I mean, ideally Locke ends up like above average, um, but I don't really think that that's going to happen. And I know he got a little bit better towards the end of the season, but I don't think it was enough for 
you know, enough to really get excited about. Um, not like when, you know, and this didn't even work out for Baker Mayfield, but like the end of Baker Mayfield's rookie season was absurd. And it was like, okay, that was clearly so much better than what he had been before. Maybe he'll be better um, the following year. I don't think Drew Locke was really that kind of good down the stretch. Um, so I'm not too excited about him, you know, ended up ending up to be the guy like this best, this best case scenario. I think more of a best case scenario is like Teddy Bridgewater takes the job either week one or like really early on. Um, and just kind of is this facilitator, which is all that he needs to be. And I think he actually did a decent job of that in Carolina. Um, I want to say that he was like 18th in yes. like, you know, QBR, uh, DYAR. He was like a firmly average producer in a relatively good offense. And that's pretty much what Denver is going to provide him. They have a ton of skill players, and I think he would do a really good job um, distributing to all of them. The difference between, you know, what he would have in – um, Denver versus what he had in Carolina is the Carolina defense wasn't particularly good and didn't get a whole lot of value out of his like, you know, kind of low volatility, stay on the field kind of play style. Whereas I think in Denver with as good as I expect their defense to be, I think you get a lot more value out of a guy like um, Bridgewater in that sense. Well, I remember before the Panthers signed Terry Bridgewater last year, we were talking about the Panthers, like they were going to be a favorite for Trevor Lawrence. And then he right. came in and they were, I mean, they were bad, but, they were bad with the, the offense was, was competent. Yeah. Right. Exactly. The the quarterback was tank proof. That's a perfect way to put it. Is I think he was he was too good for them to be that kind of bet. Yeah. And that's I mean that's one of the reasons I was critical of that move when they did it because it was like if you're going to be as bad as they were in the first year of a head, this is a whole thing but like in the first year of a head coach this is your chance to tank into Lawrence because you have the mm-hmm. the leash to do it and they didn't do it and now they're trying to make Darnold work so like we'll see but. Uh, do you, so, I mean, you just said Bridgewater wasn't as bad. The two kind of big narratives about him, um, and there's, there's a couple others, but the two big narratives about him that I kind of wanted to touch on with you, um, there's a lot of concern in Broncos country. You look at his box score stats and he's never had more than 15 touchdowns in a season. Uh, and I want to say, and I think you probably saw this as well. Bridgewater right before OTAs uh, came out and said essentially that the Carolina Panthers didn't practice red zone, didn't practice two minute drills as often as he expected. And it, and it turned in, you know, a whirlwind of controversy for a minute, um, but we kind of overlooked it. No one actually went and looked at the tape. I've, I've gone over some of it. I'm still working through some of it because I've been kind of busy. I think it's kind of valid. Um, like there's a, in the red zones, the other part of it, because uh, there was a, a betting, like a betting analyst who said that Teddy Bridgewater had eight drives to win a, the game with the final drive. And he didn't do it once. And while that's technically true, the first game of the year, Teddy Bridgewater's final drive came with eight seconds left. His second to last drive, the Panthers ran the ball in every single play. And then they turned the ball over on down. So like he didn't actually have a realistic chance to win that game to begin with. But, but in the red zone, when I've been watching the games, they're running a lot of concepts that really it's a lot of isolation type stuff that's counting on a quarterback to make the play when it's a tough throw. And again, I'm not saying that Bridgewater couldn't make those throws, but I don't want to lay all that on him necessarily. And maybe again, maybe I'm just trying to defend it because he's now a Bronco, but I, I'm not super worried about it, but I don't know if I'm just being a Homer. Um, so what I would say with the, the Carolina red zone stuff is one, they did do a lot of ISO stuff. And like, I think a lot of that was Joe Brady coming from, the LSU offense where they had like two or three guys who were really good ISO players. And then also the best quarterback in the country. Yeah, no shit. You're going to be able to get away with a lot of that kind of stuff when you're in the NFL and you have, um, 
I mean, the Panthers' skill players, I think, were above average, um, even good. Um, but I don't think that they were the necessarily ideal, like you just line them up one-on-one in the red zone inside the 10, they're going to beat anybody. I just don't think that that's what a lot of those guys did particularly well, particularly like Robbie Anderson. I don't think that that's really what he does. Um, so just stuff like that. I think it was like a weird blend of Brady partic- maybe not being as ready to fit into the NFL um, with a lot of the more minute stuff like that. Um, in addition to the Panthers, maybe not having the best skill players for that. And then also Bridgewater, kind of like you mentioned a little bit, he can make those throws, but he's not going to be like a guy who consistently is just fitting every single tight window. So I think it was just like a really bad blend of circumstances that I think, at least in terms of the wide receiver talent, is a little bit better uh, in Denver. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also kind of the other big concern that some people seem to have with Bridgewater is that he's not going to maximize like Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, who are essentially the guys you would want in those ISO situations because they're big receivers who can go up when contested catches. Um, and again, like I, and again, I'm not trying to like make this whole argument about Teddy Bridgewater versus Drew Locke, but like when I've watched Bridgewater, it's not that he can't make the throws. I don't think he has the same arm as Drew Locke. I think that's fair. Definitely fair. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but he's definitely like, he's able, especially in the early half of the year before he got hurt, he's definitely able to get the ball downfield. It's just, he's using touch to do it. But the big problem with him is that he doesn't always do it when he has the opportunity. Like he'll, he'll dump down when he shouldn't dump down. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be a lot more averse. That's for sure. I mean, he's just, I mean, one kind of, like you mentioned, he just doesn't have the arm to consistently make a lot of those absurd throws. Like he can do it from time to time, but it's because he has that arm strength, he never developed the mentality to where he wants to be that aggressive because he's not always had the arm to do it consistently. Whereas Drew Locke is probably too far on the other end where he has the arm strength and his kind of index too far to where he's too aggressive um, a lot of the time um, for his own good. So I think Bridgewater, it's probably fair that he's not going to get the most value out of some of those guys down the field. But I think he's just so generally smart about how he handles the ball um that it's probably going to be fine especially with as good as you know yak guys as a lot of their players are mm-hmm. i don't think it's going to be that much of a problem for him to play a little bit more in the you know 5 to 15 area as opposed to the the post 15 area that drew lock might want to play into and so since this is kind of like the open competition i i think like the way people kind of uh kind of like imagine drew lock winning this is he already has the like the gunslinger part of it and so he basically just has to improve all the like quote unquote the easy parts or the boring parts of quarterback play. Um and again, I I'm like resident one hater for Julak, apparently. I don't mean to be, but but I've but me and uh Mile Hard Ports Joe Mahoney, we went back to 2000 and we looked at every quarterback who has played 16 uh, made 16 starts, and then we tried to look at how they improved over the course of their next 16 and then the third 16. Um and basically it painted a pretty bleak picture. Uh, basically dating back to 2000, the two quarterbacks who looked as bad as Drew Locke did over his first 16, who turned into something is Drew Brees and Josh Allen. Um, basically you can like in looking at the numbers, like you could expect like improvement, but the improvement that I saw, it wasn't like, if if that happens this year, Drew Locke is going to go from like the 35th best quarterback to like the 28th best quarterback. Mm. Um, and, and again, I I know that like, we're kind of accounting at this point, Broncos country is kind of counting on. COVID being so weird for the Broncos that Drew Locke is an outlier that way. Um, 
do you think that's like even like remotely realistic? Are we again, like, I'm not trying to make you a hater here, but like, <laughs> or like what, what, what do you think feels like kind of like a realistic improvement for Julak based on like what you've seen? Like how he can do it or like how good he would end up being. I guess both, like not necessarily to put you on the spot, but like what, what areas do you think kind of seem like realistic areas where he can improve over like this last off season? Cause like, this is going to be the first year he's had a, the same coordinator dating back to his sophomore year in college, dating going into his junior year. Um, and this is like the first off season he's had where he is the starter and had OTAs and you know, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like what areas of his game do you think that'll really help um, based on like what you know of his game? And then how good, like if, if you had like gun to your head, if you had to pick how good in a range, how, where do you think he could end up if he ends up the starter? So to me, how Locke gets better is like not necessarily toning down his aggression. That would probably help him a little bit. Um, But I think it's more that like he just doesn't have a very good understanding of how plays progress, Um, which is like a really vague way to put the way that he plays quarterback. But I, I, you know, Nate Tice um, said it better than I could, but like Drew Locke pretty much plays quarterback in a way that like he's going to throw the first friendly piece of jersey that flashes in front of his eyes as soon as he sees it um, and whether that ends up being his first read or he doesn't see shit until he gets to a check down that's how he's gonna play he's not really like progressing you know tying his feet to like one to two to three it's kind of just like he gets off of one and he's praying to god that he sees a flash and he has the arm talent that that kind of works out enough um for him but like i just don't think he does a very good job of seeing in a lot of the the details about the position and like you mentioned he did have he's always had a tough go of it in terms of like he's constantly had to change offensive coordinators um and he didn't really have like a legitimate offseason last year um which is kind of valid but also invalid in the sense that like a guy like justin herbert can come in and it literally doesn't matter that he didn't have um and obviously guys learn at different paces and stuff like that and you kind of have to account for that and maybe Locke is just like a slow learner um, but it eventually will work out. I don't know. But like, I think that that is, he clearly needs a lot more work within the system and maybe him getting, you know, another year of this is, is going to be helpful, but I'm a little bit, um, not too confident that that's going to happen. I think if it does happen, like a realistic range for lock is closer to like the, I don't know, like 20th to 24th, kind of really in what like Bridgewater, lot like locks, not necessarily peak, but like if he took a step, it would probably be into the 20 to 24 range, which is already where Bridgewater looks like he is. And I think Bridgewater can be a little bit better with better pieces around him. So like, I think no matter what you do, I don't mean to make it only about Bridgewater lock, but I think like, it's really hard for me to imagine lock getting so much better that he's better than Bridgewater is right now. I I don't know how to put this into words without it sounding like, I am glad that you said that because I have felt like I have been crazy this whole off season thinking that, um, mm-hmm. because like when the Broncos brought in Bridgewater, I thought to myself, well, at least they have a floor. Mm-hmm. Um, they have exactly. like a, an average ish quarterback. Like what we think Alex, like people want to say Kirk cousins was, is bad. And I don't think Kirk cousins is necessarily good, but mm-hmm. Kirk cousins is better than like the rap he gets. And like, yeah. I think the absolute best case scenario for Teddy Bridgewater is something resembling her cousins on a normal mm-hmm. year. Realistically, he's hovering around like the Alex Smith line. And again, like you're not necessarily excited about that guy, but if the rest of your roster is okay, like the chiefs were a 
playoff contender for a couple of years without Smith playing like that. I mm-hmm. can take that over what the Broncos have had since Peyton Manning. Like realistically, if Teddy Bridgewater is healthy for 16 ga- or 17 games and plays like that, he'll be the best quarterback since at least Case Keenum, probably longer. Um, so that's where I've been. And then basically that there's a giant belief in Broncos country that's basically Drew Locke's job to lose. And I just don't see that unless there's like a hand on the competition. If it's an open competition, I don't see that. I, I yeah, I Locke would have to, like I said, Locke would have to be so much better than he was last year for me to think that this is his job to lose. I don't, I also don't, I just don't think that you sign a guy like Bridgewater unless you are going into it thinking that you are going to have a competition. Obviously when he was in like new Orleans, that was a different situation. But like, if you're signing Bridgewater with the current situation that the Broncos had, you're doing it because you want a competition, not because you think the guy ahead of him is going to win the job and you have an emergency. At least that's my read on it. Cool. So, well, I think we both agree that hopefully it's Aaron Rod. Like, well, I don't, I don't know if you hope it, but like for the sake of Broncos country, I think you probably hope like the Broncos are definitely a better team with Aaron Rodgers. Um, mm. And like, and I, and I say that like, hopefully, and I know that sounds weird because he's the reigning MVP, but like, you you were honest about this. A lot of other people are honest about this. Like Aaron Rodgers before last season didn't look like he did last season. Like he's been good, but mm-hmm. last season was like there's a reason the Packers drafted Jordan Love. Like there is a risk involved at the Broncos trade for him that they're not getting Lafleur. They're getting Pat Shermer trying to make Aaron Rodgers an MVP again. It's still still worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the thing is too. Like when Rodgers was like underperforming he was still like a top like six quarterback in the league um and there was like the one year in particular where he looked maybe a little bit lower than that like the last mccarthy year where they finally fired him um he maybe looked a little bit worse than that but like if the floor for aaron Rodgers is the eighth best quarterback in the league and you know that he still has it in him to be the best non-patrick mahomes quarterback in the league i think no matter what it takes you, you trade for that if you can Cool. So I'm not crazy there either. I'm, again, I no. appreciate. It. I'm not, <laughs> I, I didn't have so. you on just to tell me I'm not crazy, but this is definitely it's good to know. While we're on quarterback, I guess because I, I do have a couple other things I wanted to ask you about. Um, first of all, and and you said you really liked what the Broncos did in terms of their secondary. How did you feel about the decision to take Patrick Sertan over Justin Fields? I got to get you on kind of like pick your brain on that, just because I had I had it on good uh, good authority. A friend of mine reached out from like a source of his and told me like a week ahead of time that the Broncos were out on him. They like Trey Lance, but unless Trey Lance fell, they were not going to take fields. It, it probably helped me not have a meltdown on draft night. Um, but still like I look at that decision and again, like maybe I'm missing something with fields, but the Broncos pass on fields, which is in my mind, it's egregious knowing that in 2022, if Locke doesn't take this big step forward, they're probably going to have to overpay Bridgewater to either be a bridge or actually be their starter. And on top of that, uh, George Payne has come out multiple times, not multiple times. George Payne has come out and said that the Vikings offered him trade pa- a trade package. We found out later because of the Bears, uh, the Giants had an offer on the table. The Bears had an offer on the table. Like the Broncos had multiple opportunities to move down in the draft to collect first round ammo for next year if they were going to chase a quarterback. So like the way it's looking right now, if the Broncos follow the projection you guys have at Football Outsiders, they're going to be too good to get a quarterback next year unless they sell the farm to get back up for it, or unless something crazy happens. It, it and it, it just, I, I'm on, I'm like, I'm kind of like in crazy town for that because it's like, God, like what the hell? 
No, it's like the weirdest conflict. It's like the weirdest combination of things because, like, yeah, if it were me making that pick, it would have been Fields, like, if as fast as you could make the pick. I, I thought Fields was fantastic. I thought Fields is like a quarterback one type in literally any class that doesn't also happen to have Trevor Lawrence. Um, I thought he was that good. Um, I, you know, if I were the Jets, I would have taken him way before Zach Wilson, that sort of thing. So. I think passing on fields was pretty egregious. And then I think, you know, kind of like you mentioned, if you're not going to take fields and you already know that you kind of need a quarterback, that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to take Mac Jones or something, but kind of like you said, maybe then you trade back and try to get ammo for the next year in case stuff doesn't work out. Um, what's weird about that though, is that I still love Patrick Sertan. I think Damn. he's a fantastic player. Like he's going to be awesome from like from the jump. I think, He's one of the best press corners I've ever seen. He moves incredibly well for his size, has a, a really unbelievable um, understanding of like his position maintenance as he gets later in the route, you know, where he needs to cut stuff off, um, how he can lean into, into like inside routes and stuff like that. He just has such a phenomenal understanding of the position that I think he's going to be awesome out of the gate. So it's kind of weird that like they clearly, I, I think in terms of like position made the wrong pick. It should have been Fields, but I think Sertan is so good and so perfect for what they want to do defensively that, like, it's like I hate the pick and love it at the same. That's same time is the best way to put it. That's where I'm at. I I love the player. I actually had Sertan mm -hmm. as the top defensive player on my board for adjusted yeah. for you know the Broncos' needs and stuff. But at the right. same time, I hated the process because essentially, like, you take Sertan if you know you have a quarterback. So either, yeah, right. so either George Payton is very confident one of the two quarterbacks he has is, is going to work out long-term or he knows he's going to be able to get Aaron Rodgers or somebody else. And mm -hmm. if that's not the case, then like no matter how good Sertan is, it feels looks even sort of good. That's always going to be a hot button issue for Broncos country. And I, ha I, I hate right. that for him because mm -hmm. like you, like I think Sertan, like, and I think you put this eloquently in uh, the almanac is, Essentially, he opens up the Fangio scheme in a way that Fangio hasn't had since Prince Mukamara. And mm -hmm. it made sense. And I was like, you're right. And the thing that I'm because I'm, I'm actually working on, the, you know, the position by position breakdowns for, you know, ahead of camp. The thing I'm really intrigued by with the Broncos right now with DB is they have Ronald Darby on a three year contract. They signed Kyle Fuller to hopefully be Kyle Fuller again. Mm -hmm. uh, they have Bryce Callahan and then they have Sertan. And when I looked at uh, Sports Info Solutions does like the breakdown by, you know, the formula, you guys have it too, mm -hmm. is uh, the Broncos ran nickel, like five plus DBs 75% of the time last year, but they definitely ran more nickel than they did dime. Mm -hmm. I kind of suspect that they're going to try and run more dime this year if everyone's healthy, just because like you could take Josie Jewell off the field, potentially put Sertan out on the boundary and then move either Darby or Fuller in the slot. Like, to me, that seems like a best case scenario in a passing league uh, because, and again, like I like Josie Jewell, but he's athletically limited. Mm -hmm. I have a very hard time believing that any defense is going to be that heavy dime, like consistently. I know Staley kind of was um, with the Rams, just be, but I think that was also because like they literally did not have linebackers. Yeah. And they also had one of the best defensive fronts in the league. So like they had they had such a perfect like roster 
construction to be able to do what they did, um, where basically all of their defensive linemen are good enough to steal gaps in the run game. And then they also have, you know, like a third safety who was really good and they had like extra um, cornerbacks who could play. So like they had the perfect roster to be that kind of dime defense. The Broncos sort of do in the sense that like they have an extra DB who could be on the field and would be like a plus value. But I am a little bit more worried about like how they're going to handle the interior if they're taking a linebacker off the field. So that would kind of be my question. Um, I also, it kind of runs into the thing is like, is Darby as a fourth cornerback really better than your second linebacker? And I think like, regardless of that being, you know, not even just for the Broncos, I think for most teams, that's kind of my argument with like, oh, more teams are going to go three safety or more teams are going to go dime. It's like, is your fourth corner or your third safety really better than your second linebacker? Probably not. Um, And I kind of worry about that being the case with, um, the Broncos. I think if Darby ends up having to play for injury or just rotating people, I think he's fine. But like, I think to consistently have him on the field is probably not what they want to do over Jewel. I would say. And so, and, and this is kind of getting me to another question I have with you because that, that's realistically like Kyle Fuller and Bryce Callahan are both on one-year contracts, whereas Darby mm-hmm. was signed to a three-year. All you know, it's realistically it's probably a two-year plus one if he's good. Darby to me seems like the biggest risk of those three to not live up to expectations, but he's also mm-hmm. the one they're committed to the longest. So it's like, for me, like they're gonna, like I would be surprised if Fangio doesn't try and get Sertan on the field as early as possible. Like you took him top 10. He's a perfect fit. I think fit. he's starting. I, I, do I mean, too. I don't know. Any, no, I don't I, know anything about their camp or whatever, but like, I think he has to start. No, I, mm-hmm. so when I talked to coach Vass, uh, and again, guys, if you haven't listened to that episode, you should, cause I'm, re- I'm referencing it. Obviously. And I know you've talked to Vass before and you guys know each mm-hmm. other. Um, so Vass, when I was talking with him, he mentioned like coming from the, uh, the Saban defense, like Sertan's not going to have this huge adjustment that a lot of rookies deal with. Like he's going to be able to pick up the Fangio defense pretty quickly. So like the one hangup you normally have about rookies, I don't really have with Sertan. And so like, for me, it's mm-hmm. like, why not get him on the field? Cause you know, he's going to be your, a cornerstone player, get him the experience as soon as he's even sort of close to ready. Absolutely. And, and like, the thing is like. Vass can speak more to the the specific like scheme to scheme jump the way that he's talking about with like saving to Fangio um, more than I can. But like, I think even if you just watch Sertan specifically in the Alabama scheme, like his thing was just how unbelievably smart he was and just constantly in the right position. He would get beat every now and then for like, um, you know, maybe some 5'10 receiver was a little bit quicker than he was on like a pivot route or something like that. But he was never really getting beat because double cuts or uh, not really understanding how he was supposed to pattern match certain stuff like he was never ever ever out of position and I think that that's something that's probably going to translate for him pretty well to the NFL I think he's a really sharp dude and kind of one thing off of off that that I want to ask you about um and I meant to ask you before so I apologize uh when I was looking at the almanac for the Broncos uh the Broncos, and you made a note of this, the Broncos have a really wide split between their DVOA uh, between man and zone coverage. And first of all, if you guys listening don't know what DVOA is, it essentially, and this is like, again, the really simplistic version to explain it, I measure, I consider it a measurement of efficiency uh, that adjusts for opponents. So again, like it's one of my favorite stats that way because it actually it tells you more than a counting stat does. Um, but the Broncos have a really wide split between man and zone last year. Um, whereas Fangio has a reputation for being a, a, a zone coach. Uh, when I talked to, talked to Vass, we split up, you know, how the difference is like man, man, uh, man, match zone, match zone. Um, but I'm wondering like, if you know how that's charted, 
uh, by you guys. And if you don't, it's okay. But I, I have to ask. Honestly, I am not entirely sure how they do. Uh, what my guess would be is that, um, or at least my understanding from talking to some other people vaguely, is that I, I believe zone match stuff counts as zone because okay. you're obviously starting into zone. Um, and then, you know, zone is zone, man is man, man is man match. So my understanding is that zone match um, still counts as zone, even though it, you know, the thing that everyone says is it basically turns into man, but it's still zone like in its principles in the way that you're trying to cover things. And I'm pretty sure that that's how it gets started. Because the, the one thing on top, like the fact that Sertan is already so well versed in match principles is really exciting mm -hmm. to me. Um, and then again, like the fact that Fuller's already done it, that, so again, like I, I guess I'm as excited as you are for Sertan. I just hope that the quarterback situation doesn't tank that. Um, mm. Beyond the cornerback situation, then I guess I was surprised to figure out to to see how good the linebackers were in coverage last year. I knew that they were better than kind of like the like so th even Broncos fans kind of do this. Um, basically, consider Josie Jewell is just a guy. Um, and then Alexander Johnson, he's a really good run stopper, but he's not good in coverage. And part of that is based around the idea that like, neither one of them are, you know, four, four, they're not Patrick queen in, in space, right? but, but you guys graded them out. Like they both had a 60 plus percent win rate in coverage. Mm -hmm. And, and granted part of that is probably Fangio's scheme protects them a little bit. Yeah. Um, but also like they did a decent job doing their role. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's probably the best way to put it is that they, the scheme kind of protects them in that, at least from what I remember, from what I remember watching, they don't have to do like a whole lot of carrying, um, you know, vertically, a lot of the way that some other linebackers do. I don't think they have to cover as much ground, as much space, um, but they do a decent enough job of getting into their zone drops and playing what's in front of them and making sure they don't give up extra yards. And if that's all the scheme is asking you to do and you're doing it at a high level, I mean, that's kind of all that you can ask for. I think Fangio would probably prefer if he had some guys who could, um, you know, roll and run super well and, and carry stuff vertically and, and, you know, have a little bit more options on his table. But I think if the secondary is as good as we think it's going to be, um, particularly the cornerbacks, I don't really think you have like a necessity for the, the linebackers to be like for them to both be, um, you know, Bobby Wagner or something. I, I, don't, I just don't think that that's necessary. So I think they're probably in the middle ground of not quite as good as our numbers said, because like you said, I think they were kind of protected a little bit and we're just really good at particular things and weren't asked to do some of the harder stuff. And also probably not the complete dead weights that, you know, maybe some frustrated Broncos fans seem to think that they are. Well, there, there's a rampant kind of idea that you have to have an athletic linebacker to match up with tight ends. And I, I think we both know like that's not necessarily true. Like it definitely helps. Like I would much it's rather nice, have yeah. one. Mm -hmm. But but you can live without one, and then most people can't cover Darren Waller or Travis Kelsey anyway. Like we're kind of all hoping Travis Kelsey just gets old at some point. Like not not that, like <laughs> not, like I like him. I don't mean it like right. personally, but but right. in terms of like a matchup thing, like that's probably the most realistic way to stop him is that eventually he slows down. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the other things I wanted to ask you about. Um, so the Broncos had a ton of issues with run defense last year. Uh, I noticed this. I when I did my defensive line breakdown. Uh, it kind of matches up with right around the time that Mike Purcell got hurt. Um, I looked at the DVOA splits for, you know, by game and right around, I want to say that that first chiefs game, like they just fell off a cliff and that's when he got hurt at the same time. Like they had injuries up and down the line. Like basically everybody missed time except for 
Deshaun Williams. I think he was the only one mm-hmm. who basically stayed healthy all year. And he was like a backup backup who became essentially a starter because of it. Right. Um, a lot of people in Broncos country are kind of attributing the Broncos. Now that they have Purcell back, the run defense is going to be legit. I think me personally, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Purcell, but I think that might be a little bit overstating it just because he's a, he's a nose tackle. So he's a role player. He plays, he's like the third defensive tackle. And then he plays on base downs. But like, am I, am I off on that? Like what, what kind of like where you land on the defensive line? Uh, I mean, I think getting Purcell back is like pretty important, but I also, it's not like they have, they have really great edge players, but it's not like any of the other guys they have along the interior are like game breakers. I think Shelby Harris is like pretty good. But I don't think any of what they had up there is going to be like completely, you know, just wrecking a game. Even Purcell, like I think Purcell is like a really good run defender. Like you said, he's like a good nose, but he's not like a special player. Um, and I don't think any of any else of what they have up, up front is like particularly special. Um, and I like both of their linebackers, but it's not like either of them are like particularly special players either. So I think the run defense could be better. And like I mentioned, I think re- right when we started is like, if they're a little bit healthier than they were last year, I think the front is going to be better, but I don't think that they're suddenly going to be like, you know, a top five, top seven run defense unit. I think that that's probably a little bit generous. I think they really just need to be good enough that their dominance in the pass game gets the value that we think it's going to get. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not to where they're they're just, they're just like this lopsided unit where they can stop everyone passing, but everyone can run for 200 yards on them. So, well, and, um, and you know this, but like one part of that too, for listening, like, the fact that the Broncos play at a two high so much, uh, mm-hmm. they kind of try and bait teams into running on them. So they, it's not that they have to be necessarily world beating run stoppers, but they have to be good enough to make you wrong for doing it too much. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think, and actually you wrote a really cool piece on Purcell last year and, and basically about how his alignment helps him to create difficulty for zone blocking centers. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like, so that's, that's the other reason why I had to pick your brand Purcell a little bit. Cause I know you've actually watched him. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it always shows up when they've matched up with the Titans. Cause the Titans try to run outside zone. And he gives them a ton of issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, like, I think that's fair. Um, and again, like I say, this is somebody, I think Draymond Jones is, I I'm pretty high on Draymond Jones just because, uh, I do think that given the help around him and more like one-on-ones, I think he could be a pretty good pass rusher, but I mm-hmm. do think that his liability, like, I don't think his play strength is, I think it's maybe average if you're if and that's best case scenario. And that'll show up in run defense. Um, yeah. But I, I'm willing to live with it because it's a passing league is kind of where I'm at with him. Um, so kind of like with that, um, I don't know if you've put any thought into the the backup safeties. Again, that might be kind of getting into it a little bit too much. Um, but the fact that Kareem Jackson came back, he's 33 on a one-year deal. He, to me, is like kind of the only other big like red flag on defense. Like The defense, to me, is basically if Josie Jewell is good, everybody stays healthy. I'm pretty happy. The one concern with that I have is just because Kareem Jackson's a little bit older and then the depth behind them is kind of, it's really unproven. Mm-hmm. Um, considering the fact that they do run a system that runs so much on the safeties. Um, so what I would say with the backup safeties is like, I think if um, Jackson goes down or just starts playing poorly because he's a hundred years old. Um, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think Jamar Johnson is like, a particularly good fit to fill in for him. I think Johnson could be better as more of like a a center fielder um, who's just eating a bunch of space in the back end, stuff like that. So 
I think if they're having to replace Jackson, that's probably not necessarily what they need. Um, but I actually kind of like Caden Stearns um, from Texas. I don't think he's like particularly special in any way. Um, but at least from what I remember when I was watching him, I think he did like a pretty good job. They, they played from a lot of um, two high shells um, mm-hmm. when he was in Texas. So I think he's pretty familiar with that. Um, and I think he just did a really good job of playing what was in front of him, playing downhill, taking good angles to tackle, um, restrict yards after catch, stuff like that. So he's maybe not going to be a guy who can like match up on tight ends particularly well. Um, and I don't think he's going to be like your Earl Thomas center fielder. But I think if you just need a guy who's going to kind of patrol as like a robber or a, a, a deep half player and can really do a good job playing what's in front of him and play decent enough to the sideline um, deep, he could probably give you that if, if Jackson can't play. Cool. And that's probably why the Broncos took Stearns before they took Johnson then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, of- I, I think he's a better fit. And then Johnson was just like, well, he's pretty talented. So let's just, let's just take another one. <laughs> That's kind of because to me, when I saw the big questions with and I didn't watch either one of them very much before they were drafted, just because I didn't think the Broncos were going to take them. Oh, I thought Mm -hmm. the Broncos might consider Stearns. I didn't think Johnson was a clean fit. Mm -hmm. And then they took him and I was like, well, and then I I dug into him and it was like, yeah, he doesn't necessarily look like a clean fit for them. I thought he might. He might end up again. I, I haven't heard anything from camp yet about him. I'm curious to see if he ends up burning some nickel snaps um, behind. Yeah, just because I know he Mm -hmm. did a little bit of that like sub role when he was mm-hmm. at Indiana. So I'm kind of wondering if they do that as a, as like a hedge against depth because Callahan and Darby's injury histories are kind of, kind of sketchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like, since I'm talking to you about rookies, I, I, I want to get you kind of Quinn Miners is kind of like, I, I know when you wrote the Chiefs chapter, and I know I asked you about this a little bit off air. Um, the Broncos drafted Javante Williams and Quinn Miners. And to me, it looks like a sign that they want to, potentially move towards embracing more gap concepts than they were running. Maybe not this year because both of them are rookies, but to me, like when miners looks like a much better fit for a gap scheme than Lloyd Cushenberry does. Um, and I'll, and like, and to be honest, like the Broncos took Lloyd Cushenberry in the third round last year, he started every single play. Like he didn't miss a snap, but he was probably one of the two or three worst centers in football. Um, and then again, I liked him a lot as a pick, but just realistically, um, and a lot of people point to him improving down the stretch and yeah, he probably did, but he was still really bad. So like when you're the worst center in football, improving doesn't necessarily mean you're good. Um, right. if you go from the 32nd to 26th, is it like that big of a deal? <laughs> yeah. And well, and he was so bad too. I thought he was basically making both Dalton Reiser and Graham Glasgow look worse than they were. And then when the Broncos mm-hmm. had injuries and other guard, like it just, the middle of the line was really, really bad last year for a big chunk of the year which is troubling when you consider the fact that basically every single team in football runs in what football outsiders considers mid guard at mm-hmm. least, I want to say at least right around 40% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's just realistic. Like teams are going to run the middle of the field. Like they have to. Uh, so having an issue like that at center hurts everybody. Um, so like for me, I guess like, does it seem crazy to believe that maybe Quinn Miners pushes for that job early? Cause I know he didn't play last year and he's a rookie. But also, like, Cushenberry was really bad. Um, I mean, I think with as bad as Cushenberry was, it should at least be, like, a legitimate competition, right? Not just, like, um, being very intent on redshirting minors for the year. I don't think they need to do that. I think it should be more of a competition. I think it helps that they're, like, very different players, too. Um, so I think kind of to your point, if they really want to lean into more of that really punching you in the face kind of run game, 
um, with Miners and with Williams and whether they like fully lean into that this year um, or maybe wait a year is kind of like, who knows, but I think if that's the way that they want to move with the offense, I think it would be interesting to give him the job. Um, it might even be interesting to give him the job anyway, because like, let's say, you know, Cushionberry is still, I don't know, the 25th or 26th best center in the league. Can Miners really be that much worse than that? Can he really be that much worse than Cushionberry was last year? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. I guess the only concern I, I would actually maybe have there is that like with Cushionberry having another year um, under his belt in the offense, he might be able to help um, lock a little bit more if he ends up being the quarterback, just with protections, um, getting into, you know, making sure you have the right stuff against the right front, stuff like that. Whereas like Miners, coming from a smaller school, having not played the last year, and then he's a rookie. It's like, is that really the guy you want to put at center when your quarterback is Drew Locke, who already kind of struggles with a lot of those things? I think if they end up rolling with Bridgewater, it might be more okay because Bridgewater is, I think, a lot more versed in that sort of stuff and can probably handle it a little bit more on his own. So I think this kind of just cropped into my head now, but like it would kind of be more like if Cushenberry is going to play, Locke is probably going to start the year. Um, if you want to roll with minors, you might be able to get away with, with starting Bridgewater because he's going to be able to offset some of the, the rookie stuff that he might have. And so that kind of gets me to Munchak, um, just because I want to ask you about this. I mentioned this the last episode I had for Cover 2 Broncos. And again, anyone listening, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to run Mike Munchak out of town. I'm just asking to kind of get your thought on it. But Mike Munchak has basically been considered one of the two or three best line coaches in football. Like him and Skarnecchia have been considered mm -hmm. kind of the top guys the Broncos offensive line has not been good since Munchak's been with the Broncos. Um, and I'm not saying this again, like thinking it's all his fault. Like obviously there's been a lot of injuries, a lot of new pieces, all that stuff. But like, what, what do you like, first of all, like how much, I guess, do you think that falls on Munchak? Like the issues they've had, but also like how much realistically can he like be expected to kind of help now? Because they still have an issue at center. The right tackle situation is still like, and, and you wrote about it in the, and again, I'm not trying to give away the almanac, but like you guys were lower on Massey and Fleming than I was. Um, and I was trying, I was trying to be pretty honest about it, but like Fleming basically has this like freeze up when he's blocking. Like if you run a stunt at him, there's times he doesn't block either guy. Like he'll, he'll yeah. just like, he just looks at him and he doesn't know what to do. So he just lets both guys fly by him and you can't, I mean, you can't have that. That's why he hasn't been starting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the problem with Massey that I saw is like, I thought, first of all, he's tall. And I don't think he plays like a long player. Like he's tall, so he has issues with leverage. But then he doesn't necessarily use his length to his advantage. And then guys get under him, and then he doesn't have power. And he gets pushed back into the quarterback. So like either – I think they'll be better than Elijah Wilkinson last year because Elijah Wilkinson was pretty darn bad. Um, I was actually surprised he started over DeMar Dotson down the stretch. Um, but I don't think right tackle is going to be good this year. I think it's going to be maybe passable. Like how, how, how realistic is it to hope Muncha can make this into a solid unit? Um, I mean, like, I think they could be good enough. Like, I, I think, um, if you get any degree of, um, development out of Cushionberry, I think that would be nice, which I think is possible if, if Munchak is as good as we think he is now that he has like another, he has a, he has a full off season. So, um, maybe if you want to be hopeful on that front, I think to your point, right tackle, should be better but maybe not a whole lot better um but i think personally like it's just even for as good as munchak is like he had a lot of just ridiculous talent on a lot of the offensive lines that he had coached previously um and so i think it, it, it was more 
I think this is often the case um, with like positional coaches that they're just taking good position groups and making them better. And the Broncos position group as it stands is not good enough to be made like a, it's not good enough to, to make them that kind of great. Um, and so I think that that would kind of be tricky. I think what I will say is that like a lot of the value, I think with the offensive line coach in particular is how well he's able to help set up the protections and like the particular run schemes they want to get into as an offense. So not necessarily just like coaching the technique for the players, but like what are the things that we are good at and can we do them? How do we do them? Um, and I think that should be the value with Munchak. Um, like I said, like I've said before, hopefully another year of Locke maybe understanding these things helps. Maybe another year of Cushenberry understanding these things helps. Maybe just getting Bridgewater in there to like really level up the the mental stability on the offense helps things. But I would think that that would be more of where Munchak's value hopefully could be seen. Um, not necessarily like developing all these players all of a sudden. And so I'm not trying to contradict you here, but for those that like really want to stick on the development side of it, the fact that Garrett Bowles broke out last year, like has been like, look, he did this with Bowles. Like he can definitely do this with everybody else. Um, I, I do think like the fact the Broncos run game concepts this is a whole, you know, an aside, the Broncos run game concepts since they hired Munchak to me has been really fun to chart because like I, a lot of what it's I good. do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun and it's diverse and it's really mm -hmm. cool to break down. So like, those of you who like hear that and you're like, Oh shit, we're still screwed. Like I really like the run game concepts. Um, and I do think that the protections have made sense. They just, mm -hmm. they don't have the players and I'm hoping, you know, I'm right. hoping that they have the players going forward. But, but the fact that bulls really made that big jump last year, first of all, surprised me. Uh, I didn't think, I didn't think he looked as good as PFS grading gave him in 2019. I'm not trying to hate PFF, but mm -hmm. I, I had Ben Lindsay on. I talked to him about it. I just like, it didn't look sustainable to me. Um, when I watched him last year, basically from like the first two weeks, it was like, yeah, he looks like he's made a jump and then it kind of held up all year. I know part of it is that holding went down league wide. Like that is mm -hmm. definitely a big part of it, but like, am I crazy for thinking that he might be able to sustain what he did last year? Like to me, he looked like a much better player. I, I mean, I think he can consistently be like, it, like an above average Tackle. I don't think he's going to be. I don't think he's going to ever develop into like the, I don't know, Trent Williams, Tyron Smith, uh, like whatever tier. I, I think that that's probably out of reach, and he would have already shown that already. Um, but I mean, I think it. The thing is too, like with left tackle, is like there's only probably like fifteen or so who are like you actually feel comfortable having them on the left side. Um, and if you don't have one of those 15 guys, you're just completely screwed. I think he's, he's one of those. So I think he is at least in the tier that he needs to be in. Uh, um, to your point, like holding was down, um, league wide. And that probably helped him a lot because he was still one of the higher guys in holding, even though it was down league wide. So maybe if that reverses, he runs into a little bit more trouble, starts getting more holding call, calls, starts panicking a little bit. I don't know. Um, but I think that what he did last year was probably sustainable enough for, hopefully if the rest of the other pieces fall in line on the offensive line, that the, the unit as a whole can be pretty good. So then kind of moving from bulls to the, uh, the one other unproven kind of position group that I am sky high on uh, the Broncos receivers. Uh, so I personally, and you kind of touched on this already. I thought the way the Broncos offense ran last year, they weren't maximizing KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy skill sets very well. And some people want to blame Shermer. Some people want to blame Locke. I'm not trying to necessarily blame anybody, but 
when I, I talked to Seth Galina about this, oh man, about a month ago now. And the Broncos ran horizontal leading routes at one of the lowest rates in the NFL last year. And then Locke was awful at it. Like mm-hmm. he was one of the three or four worst quarterbacks at hitting horizontal leading routes. And it kind of goes back to what you touched on with what Nate Tice said. To me, Locke has always been a see it, throw it. Like he's not, a, he's like yeah. Joe Flacco that way. And that's why like when they drafted Joe Flacco, oh, they signed Joe Flacco, traded for Joe Flacco and drafted mm-hmm. Locke. I thought the two had some over kind of like overlapping skill set that way. They, they just both have strong arms so they can make up for the fact that they're, they're not anticipating guys getting open. They're just trying to get them once they're open. Right. But for Judy and Hamler, I feel like that hurts them because what they do is they can consistently separate. You have to put them in position to actually make the most of that once they're open. And mm. I didn't think Locke did that. And part of it is, again, Shermer didn't call a lot of these, but I think Shermer didn't call a lot of this because Locke wasn't using it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Uh, like, I think another way that you can like um, differentiate between a, a lock offense and a Bridgewater offense is like lock might have higher highs and some more like flashy plays. And there might be some tougher throws that he can make, but he like literally he takes plays out of your playbook because he just can't process them and he can't throw them. Like you're saying with like the horizontal lead stuff, like he's just not a guy who can throw yak. Um, and I think like a guy like Hamler in particular is really hurt by that. Whereas like Bridgewater, on the other hand, you have the full playbook open. Sometimes he's not going to make the throw that you want him to, and he's not going to be as aggressive as you want him to, but you have everything open. And I think that that to me is a better starting point when you have as much ridiculous talent on this, um, Broncos receiving core as you have, because if you have a quarterback who allows you to have the entire playbook open and you have a receiving core who can do literally anything like I think they have the combination to where they can piece guys in however the hell they want and run anything that's a pretty good starting point for the offense to where you can just run everything and you know kind of like we were saying you know Locke was really bad at a lot of those leading throws um making sure he was hitting guys who were open and running in into into grass Bridgewater is the opposite Bridgewater is fantastic at that I think especially like underneath the eight or so yard area he's one of the this is like really no, a nerdy and like simple thing to say, but he is like one of the best shallow throwers in the NFL. He might be the best now that Philip Rivers is retired. So I think for a guy like Hamler in particular, that's probably really nice. So I think he's going to be much better for these this receiver core in terms of once they get into grass, he's going to make sure that they can keep running into grass. When I want to, and I, and I did a really shitty job with this in the intro, but like you chart, like you actually like beyond like mm-hmm. the film watching, well, like for those listening that don't know this, like, y- like you actually like will go and chart every throw. So like the fact that you say like, he's one of the best, if not the best shallow throw, like you have, like, you know it. So like mm-hmm. to me, and that's, again, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you about this because like the Broncos receiving core last year, like the fact that Cortland Sutton got hurt so early, like obviously that sucked. And it turned into a situation where Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy essentially were the co-number ones. I thought defenses were treating Judy like the number one more than more often than not. But Tim mm-hmm. Patrick was like Broncos fans considered Tim Patrick the number one for a lot of the year. So like I do think that they were kind of splitting it. Um, and the fact that Patrick was kind of like the sideline guy probably helped him in that regard. But like, first of all, and, and I don't know how much you've like watched Judy's drops and stuff, but I'm not necessarily concerned about that going forward. I think. I don't think he's ever going to be like perfect in this regard because he did have concentration jobs at Alabama. Mm-hmm. But last year was kind of like the perfect storm of he's a rookie. It's all the same issues we had with Locke applied to him. But on top of that, he had a quarterback who wasn't able to hit him in stride as often as he probably needed to be. 
a lot of times he was adjusting to throws like so like and again i'm not trying to say this is all lock either but like mm-hmm. i'm not worried about jerry judy and i haven't been at any point since he was drafted by the broncos i think he's gonna be a star yeah i mean frankly i don't care about the drops like uh, unless he doubles his drop rate i don't care like he's just so good at everything else i think he's one of the most explosive athletes at the position right now he's so good with the ball in his hands um you can put him in the slot you can put him outside you can run him you could run him on a shallow and have him on a go the next play like he he can run everything that you want him to um and yeah i the drops are kind of frustrating and he's probably always going to be that way to some degree um but like he's never going to be Larry Fitzgerald in that sense. But like I, I just like I said, unless he doubles his drop rate, I just don't care. He's he provides so much value on so many other plays that it's just I don't care. So it kind of comes down to lock, essentially. Pretty much. <laughs> well, and then, and I don't mean to keep kind of bringing it back to that, but it it really in in a lot of ways, like again, I'm at this point where I'm really excited about every player on the Broncos. Not every player, but like basically mm-hmm. every every group on the Broncos roster, I'm pretty excited for more than I normally am to the point where I'm like, am I just drinking Kool-Aid or am I like actually excited for most of this roster? Mm -hmm. But then it comes down to like, Oh shit. Well, they still have to figure out the quarterback situation. And, and so like, I have a couple more questions I want to bug you about with quarterback stuff. And again, Mm -hmm. like I apologize because I know it's kind of been like back and forth with it, but I, I I do. Again, I want to, I want to ask you about this. Like, first of all, the fact that, so like, people want to point to the fact that drew lock was better down to like the last five or so games last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that like back when the narrative was fresh, like back in like January, I went back and I looked at how the Broncos were using lock and how different that was in the first part. And to me, the thing that really jumped out more than anything was it felt like they were rolling lock out more. I didn't chart this, but it did seem like that was happening. And specifically they were rolling out lock to the right. Like obviously he's right-handed, like they're not going to mm-hmm. probably roll him out left very often. But there's been a lot of criticism about the fact that Pat Shermer didn't do enough to bend to what Locke was good at. And, and I say this because Locke was essentially, when I talked to Seth Galina, by PFS charting, uh, Drew Locke was one of the top 10 quarterbacks on rollout passes, like play action rollout. And then he was essentially, I want to say he was like 42 on just actual anything else. Um, and at the same time, Pat Shermer called play action, and this is like all play action, uh, 24% of the time, which was 24th in the league. Do you think that's something that Shermer, like, like for like, this is kind of like a multifaceted question. Do you think that's too low? I guess, like, first of all, like with like a, you know, simplistically, like, cause why, or why not? Like, why not run more play action, I guess. And why can you just roll out, roll out that often? Or, or like, how does that create issues or is it worth it? If that makes sense. Sorry. Like my question is kind of weird. Um, no, you're good. I mean, I think it's, that might just be a case of them not thinking that their run game was good enough, um, to where they didn't want to tie everything to that with all the play action stuff. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like, like conceptually, I guess, like yeah. you know, boiling it down, like why not run play action on every play? The thing is play action to me is like, it's clearly good. And if you can get to it and like in a lot of ways, it's more efficient than normal drop back passing. There's a ton of reasons for that, that I don't feel like getting into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But like the thing, like kind of like I mentioned, like you have to be able to get into it. 
I don't think that play action is just a thing that you can do. Um, and I think if like Locke is restricting so much of their other looks on drop back, you know that you know what they're doing if they get into these into more run looks and stuff like that where they want to do play action. So I think I think the problem is probably mostly just like Locke in general limiting what they're allowed to do. Um, and then at the end of the season, they kind of just said, screw it. We might want to be more limited and just lean into what he's decent at. Um, but it, like to me too, and this is a little bit of a tangent, I kind of think that like spamming play action like that is, um, it's like having a baby monitor on your quarterback. I think, I think, I think a good quarterback doesn't need it that way. Um, especially with like all the under center rollout stuff. Like I think you like, you just roll out, it cuts the field in half. And like, that's why Locke is good at it because he just doesn't have to see as many things. Um, granted how well he can consistently, um, throw outside the pocket year to year. I don't know. Um, we'll see. I know you mentioned he was like top 10 last year or whatever, but, um, I don't know if that's the only, if that's the only trick he's got in his bag, then I think they're in trouble. And I don't think doing it necessarily fixes anything. Um, that would probably be my read on it. Yeah. Makes sense. And then, so the other thing I noticed because with, sorry, ahead. I, I oh. uh, the last thing I would say, like, do, are Broncos fans thinking that like more play action, more rollout stuff would like make him Baker Mayfield? Like, so, is that what they're hoping is going to happen? So I can only speak for my interactions with Broncos fans, and it turns into essentially Shermer's the problem. Shermer doesn't do enough to fix, like, Shermer doesn't do enough to play into Lock's strengths. Uh, Lock with a full off season will be better. And the big things I've tried, like, I've I've taken that and I've tried to figure out what are Lock's strengths that's what i was just gonna ask you and, like and, what and, is worth building around really and, and then and then well and that's and that's what i've tried to like try and boil down and that's why i'm because the next one i was going to ask you about is, is in a similar vein the broncos mm -hmm. basically stopped running empty like in the early part of the year if you watch up until the first vegas game the broncos mix in empty at a, at a, at a normal amount like you wouldn't say mm -hmm. a lot but they do it enough that you're like yeah they're running empty personally mm -hmm. i love empty like just as like it's fun to watch Empty rules. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a cool, like it's, and again, I know you and I agree on this. Like basically to me, it's right up there with pistol. Like I love pistol more mm -hmm. just because of what mm -hmm. you can do with the running game. But like empty is fun just because of the way you can stress a defense with it. It's really cool mm -hmm. to watch. Um, but the Broncos basically stopped doing it after Vegas because Drew Locke basically shit his pants in Vegas. Like he, yeah. like, I mean, again, like anyone listening, I'm not trying to bash on him, but if you watch that, like I watched that Vegas game over again recently because I was watching a receiver. And it, if you watch only one game of Drew Locke last year and you turn that game on and then you hear that the Broncos are roll, trying to roll him out as a potential starter again, like you ask yourself why, mm -hmm. just because that's how bad it was. But so the Broncos took empty out of everything after Vegas. Um, first of all, like, I don't think that that's sustainable long-term. Like the Broncos had a lot of issues on second along and third down. Empty is one of those things that like, you can use that in those situations because teams know you're going to pass anyway. Mm -hmm. Why not use it? Mm -hmm. Um, but like what, like, I guess like, I don't, I, I don't know necessarily if I have a question about this or other than like, do you think that was like a good move? I guess. I, I, I don't know. Like th those are the two things that I saw that really stand out to me is they ran a lot of play action and they eliminated situations where teams knew without a reasonable doubt that Drew Locke was passing. Like that might be good coaching in the sense that like you're just kind of accepting like, all right, my quarterback completely sucks at this and there's nothing I can do about it. Let's like, just take it out of the playbook. Kind of like big Ben and play action. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and like Ben has a little bit more of like, 
he gets a little bit more leeway there because he's obviously so good at, at yeah. some, or he was so good at so many other things. Um, whereas like Locke, it, the playbook is already kind of restricted. And then you take out empty, which like to me, I think is particularly damning because I've said this before on podcasts and I've written it a bunch of times, like empty for the most part to me is like a really good gauge of like, can you pass the entry exam for playing quarterback? And if your coach is telling you that you cannot do it, then you're probably not going to be a good quarterback long-term because like, you know, a, a good example for what I mean by this is like uh, Daniel Jones. I don't think Daniel Jones is like a particularly good or great quarterback, but his last year at Duke, they were just like, well, our offense kind of sucks and we can't do anything. Let's just go into empty and you can try to get six yard gains um, for 40 plays a game. And he did it about as well as you could, like, given their situation. And so to me, I was like, well, he at least kind of, like, crosses the threshold. I don't think he had any sort of dynamic tools to be, like, a good player. But to me, I was like, okay, he at least kind of gets the position. You just need everything else. Locke, I think, is obviously the opposite, where, like, he just – if he can't operate out of empty and then the coach is telling him after a few weeks, like, yeah, we're just completely scrapping this, you can't do it. That's pretty concerning. Some of that also might come down to like, they just don't believe that they can block up empty because blocking up empty is really hard, especially when, and this goes back to lock, like <clears throat> blocking up empty is hard when you know that the quarterback is probably going to have to be hot out of empty in a lot of cases. And so if you can't block empty that well out of five man protections and you don't trust your quarterback to play hot, then like you, like you said, you can't really go to it. And so that takes something out of the playbook. So um, I think truthfully I've lost where I'm going with this, but I think the fact that they took out empty is probably pretty concerning, even if that's like the right thing to do from a coaching perspective in terms of maximizing the player in the moment. So kind of building off of this, the, the, the blueprint that I have seen as like the, this is how we make lock effective this year. And I'm, I'm just going to kind of like tell you the narrative that I've seen in different variations, like, you know, 6 million times. The Broncos invested in the running game. Their offensive line is going to be better than last year. The fact that they got Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon now instead of Philip Lindsay, because Philip Lindsay was bad last year. So now, and again, this is the narrative. This isn't necessarily what I believe. Now that they have that, they can set up play action and Drew Locke can throw bombs out of play action. And that's how they're going to get people. But like, that's such like the idealistic way to, to think about the game because that, that requires so many different things. Like for one, you're basically then trying to be, um, I mean, like I said earlier, like you're trying to be what the Browns were basically yep. with, with Mayfield where like Mayfield is really good at trusting those shot plays. They obviously had a really good rushing offense. They had a really good offensive line who could block up anything, give him as much time in the world, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they kind of got away with that in spite of Baker not being that good on like dropback concepts and stuff. But it's because they were so good at run game that being good at quick game was like kind of not as big because they could run the ball. Um, and then he was still good enough at all those shot plays and like play action stuff that, um, you know, not being the best intermediate passer on, you know, typical dropback kind of didn't matter because they were hitting on all their other stuff. With Locke, if, if this is supposed to be their, their grand blueprint, then you still need him to cross the threshold on a lot of their normal dropback stuff. And I just I have such a hard time seeing how he gets there um, or even how they get as good as, you know, what the Browns were with their peak stuff. But that's like another discussion. So yeah. I think that just takes too many things going right, um, both in Locke's hands and out of Locke's hands. So. so then kind of, and again, I know I didn't give you any prep for this. So don't, you know, if you 
So knowing kind of like that, like kind of building off that, because real, I'm I'm trying to be a realist. I again, like mm-hmm. I am a Broncos fan, but I do try to be realistic with it. Unless barring a trade for Aaron Rodgers, they need a quarterback next year. Have mm-hmm. I don't know if you've because again, you do you do breakdowns of quarterbacks in college too. I personally, based on like everything I've read from everybody that I've read from next year's class, first of all, is not anywhere near where this class, this last class was at this time last year. Part of that is obviously Lawrence. Part of that's obviously fields, but Mm -hmm. like at this time last year, we already pretty much believed that Trey Lance was going to push for first round. Like if he wasn't Mm -hmm. a first rounder, he was going to be in that top range, like top 50 guy. And then obviously Zach Wilson and Mac Jones came out of nowhere. This year's class, and again, t- you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like my understanding of this year's class is like there's a debate about Howell versus Rattler. Um, there's because like Dane Brugler of the Athletic has basically said like Sam Howell is the guy that NFL evaluators seem to believe is the one first round quarterback right now. PFF, no, I know, I, I read that. that. <laughs> we'll get to that. No, we'll get to that because I actually watched Howell. Like I haven't watched mm-hmm. everybody yet, but I went and watched Howell because that narrative was circulating in Broncos mm-hmm. country back in February. But uh, but Spencer Rattler is the guy that PFF has thrown out. Um, I know a lot of people believe that basically Spencer Rattler is the most talented, but there's I've heard, and I don't know if you know any of this, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I've heard that there's character questions. Um, mm-hmm. And I again, I'm not trying to dog him, but I just, I have heard right. that. Um, but basically beyond those two, it's, it's kind of like everybody is just saying, well, somebody's going to make a Zach Wilson or Joe Burrow leap. And it's like, if you're counting on that for the class to be good, like that seems damning. Exactly. No, I agree. I I mean, like my general, you know, thousand foot view of the class or whatever is that it's bad. I think Rattler is like a good legitimate first round quarterback, but I don't think that he's like a, a one, you know, I don't think he's like a first overall lock. Like, Oh my God, we have to have him. He's going to be insane. Um, to me, I think if I had ranked him in this past class, I would have put him probably quarterback four behind, um, obviously Lawrence Fields. And then I had Lance, um, third. I think I like him a little bit better than Wilson because they're similar ish players. Um, but I think Rattler is more talented and probably better mentally than he gets credit for. I think he was really bad early in the year or not bad, but like he had some really horrible moments early in the year. And then got significantly better. Um, so yeah, my view of it right is right now is that like Rattler is legit. Howell is maybe like a top seventy-five type of talent, but I don't think he's anything great. Um, I, I and then everyone Howell, after that is like, I don't care. <laughs> I see Howell as like poor man's Baker, based on what yeah, I've seen. Because uh, again, I, I I've watched Devontae Williams tape twice over. Um, just because mm-hmm. first of all, I I try not to fall for running backs, but I love Javante Williams. Like his tape is mm-hmm. legit. But like when I watched him, like you can't help but notice Howell. And then at one point there was a Broncos media member who, or not Broncos media, but somebody covers the Broncos who said, why would you draft Fields or Lance or Wilson when you can just get Howell next year? And I was like, okay, well let's pay attention to Howell. And I was just like, if, and again, maybe he makes a jump. Like, you know, obviously he mm-hmm. could, but like when I was watching his tape from last year, I was like, if this is the guy that's supposed to save the Broncos, they're screwed. Yeah. I feel pretty much I feel about I feel that way about everyone that's not Rattler in this class, basically. There's a couple of like interesting guys, but if you're looking for like, oh God, we we need a first round, we need a top ten pick at quarterback. This is not the class. You you missed out last year. <laughs> and that's my fear. Uh so like I'm I'm kind of in a mindset of it's like it has to be a veteran or they're mm-hmm. grabbing Bridgewater and extending him. And again, like 
it's not the worst thing, but it's like you're locking yourself into the Kirk Cousins QB purgatory. Right. So I like that's where I'm at with it. Hopefully, again, hopefully an Aaron Rodgers trade happens. Uh, but I digress. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. It was fun talking to you. Of course, man. Anytime. I, I love coming on the show, talking about uh, talking about quarterbacks. Uh, had got some punches in, got some praise in. So I think we we covered the bases. Uh, and again, guys, if you do not already follow Derek on Twitter, get right with the world. Like I don't know why you don't. Um, he's at QB Class. Uh, get the Football Outsiders Almanac. So when I talk about it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and read his work. 